Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Rock and Ramble Podcast. As always, you're here with your hosts, Andrea and Victoria. And today, we are talking about that little band from Texas, <laughs> ZZ Top. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I like <Thanks>. that. <laughs> Thanks. That was uh, one of the very first songs I was introduced to ZZ Top was LaGrange. Yeah. And I just remember, I, I think that was like one of my ringtones, like, way back really? in the day i don't remember yeah, that like that's on cool. my like nokia phone or something it's oh like, yeah uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> i had you some weird me. choices on mine i don't think i did classic yeah. rock on mine i know i did i think my first one ever was nelly country grammar and that was for a long time <laughs> i don't know i loved it <laughs> uh, which song is that uh, we're going downtown, baby. No, oh, uh, okay, 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 okay. Ready? Yeah, I had like ZZ Top, and then I had for a long time. I had in high school. It was like Crazy, crazy train. train. Yeah, I remember that uh-huh. one the most. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you weren't you wouldn't yeah. get texts, or you weren't allowed to text people. So people, when they <laughs> called, it was always like, Alibaba, Alibaba. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I told you about that, right? Yeah. Like, I found my phone, like, years and years later, my, like, block Ikea phone, or Nokia phone. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I, I had, like, unread text messages that I didn't even know how to access when I owned that phone, <laughs> like, when I had it. And my dad would get, like, so mad if I did text, because he was like, that was 10 cents. <laughs> Like, just to read it or to send another one would be, like, another 10 cent. I just wasn't allowed. Like, literally until college when Craig and I were dating. That's the only reason I got texting was because Craig kept texting me. I remember. Because I remember you were like, oh, my God, it's so many. (laughs) I wasn't used to it. Like, phones are for calling. That's why I like calling people and, like, talking to them. Because I never had that experience of, like, the T9 like having oh, to press the buttons over and over. That was a moment. Letters. You could do it like without mm-hmm. looking. You could just like do it by the feel of the phone. Like, oh, okay. I couldn't. Oh, I could. And just like, because you I could never text learned under that. the desk like that. Like, uh-huh. you know what you have to, what letter you have to like click to or whatever. Obviously, you had to like pull it out oh a little God. to read whatever they send you. But then you had to like be real covert about it and texting under the desk or whatever. I honestly did not even like understand the concept of text messaging until like college. <laughs> Anyway, so. back to why we're <laughs> back to the rock part of this podcast. Yes. So we are talking about ZZ Top. They were formed in late 1969 in Houston, Texas, and they are the longest surviving rock lineup of all time. I think it yeah. was like 51 years, something like that, right? I didn't. Years? I didn't realize. 52. Oh, I don't remember the number, but I know it was a long time, but I didn't realize that there, I, I feel like there's like records or all these things for everything. So like every band's going to mm-hmm. be like the most of this one thing. And it, well, heck yeah, you find like, it. Yeah. <laughs> we I mean, are number one. you're probably going to like, you know, hold on to that, but there's so many different things that people can be like, we are the best at this or the longest at this or the most of these. <laughs> and it's hard to keep track when there's like every band we've covered is breaking records at some point (laughs) about something yeah so there's three members in zz top you've got billy gibbons who's on vocals and guitar he's the tall one Mm -hmm. and then 
there's Frank Beard, the drummer, mm-hmm. and we'll get to him. <laughs> and Dusty Hill, he was born Joe Michael Hill. He went by Dusty Hill mm-hmm. um, on vocals and bass. And so Dusty and Billy were the two front men that you think of when you think of ZZ Top with, with the, beards, the beards and the guitars, the guitars yeah. and the synchronized dance yeah. moves and all that. Um, Frank Beard, I know this is like the oldest joke and everybody's probably <laughs> tired of hearing of it, but we have to say it because what it's would it be true. without it? He's, he's the only one that doesn't have a beard, but at least he got it in his name, Frank Beard. So, <laughs> and that's done. <laughs> Check. So. Yeah, Billy Gibbons and Dusty Hill, they actually did look quite similar when they had the long beards. Like, without their beards, they didn't really look too much like facial mm-hmm. um, structure. They didn't look a whole lot alike. Yeah. But with the beards and the sunglasses the and the sunglasses, hat, and the the same, like... I mean, they wore same outfits. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's not so much that they um, looked alike. It's just that there's nothing, like, distinguishable between the two that you can see. There probably was... Right. You know, oh, if sure. they were yeah, uncovered, but it's like, oh, okay, they're meant to kind of look, you know, similar. And yeah, their height and build uh, was different. Build. So, yep. yeah, all three of these guys born in Texas, all born in 1949. Um, Billy was born in Houston. Dusty was born in Dallas. And Frank was born in Frankston, Texas, mm-hmm. which is like just southeast of Dallas. Um, yeah, I was like, that's in East Texas. Yeah. And... So Billy, who is the tall main one, um, his dad was musically talented and had already been an orchestra conductor, concert pianist, and an entertainer. And then, like, really cool ties because he worked with Cedric Gibbons, who's his second cousin at MGM Studios. And I think because of those connections, probably, he went, Billy was able to go to a B.B. King recording session at seven years old, Mm. which is, like, huge, huge. Um, He went to see Elvis Presley at five years old. And um, let's see. Oh, and both of those are going to be pretty influential um, in their sound and all that later on. Um, But he received an electric guitar at his 13th birthday. So, again, it's like young musicians starting pretty early. And he went to the Warner Brothers Art School in Hollywood. And there he formed a band called Moving Sidewalks, which we'll talk about further on. And he had a knack with like naming things like he would he would hear a name and be like, oh, I like that. So I'm going to do this. So like the one was like the 19th floor elevators or something. Mm, mm -hmm. And he was like the like an elevator goes up and down. So we're going to be the moving sidewalks because those go Mm -hmm. like across. And then we'll see that how he came up with ZZ Top, too. Yeah. Um, but before that, so Frank Beard, the drummer, he was credited on their first album and on Trey Sombre's, uh, as Rube Beard, <laughs> R-U-B-E, mm-hmm. because they nicknamed him, they nicknamed him the Rube. And I always thought Rube meant like, like kind of a goody two shoes or like, I've oh, never heard that rude, like, before, or like the really? the term. Like I'm not familiar with that. I yeah, no. To yeah, me, the first I, thing I, I think of is it. Rubius 
for Hagrid, but I know it's not that. But oh. that's like I don't know why. I, don't know, I just think that's like Rube seems like it'd be short for Ruby as well. That I don't know. Uh, I've, another I've large bearded man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, but Rube actually, I had to Google it. It just means like country bumpkin, like hmm. an unsophisticated. And I was like, oh, that's not at all. That's like kind of the opposite of what I thought Rube meant. I thought Rube was like kind of like. Oh, you're a goody two-shoes, like a square. Rube. Yeah. Yeah, not that. Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah, like kind of like snobby, Mm -hmm. but no, opposite. So that was his nickname, and that's how he's credited. And then after that, he was credited as uh, Frank Beard. And I think his name was like Frank Lee Beard. And then you have Dusty Hill, again, (laughs) bass player, vocals. He was the shorter of the two yeah. <laughs> main bearded men uh, again born in dallas 1949 i didn't know he played the cello that was really cool yeah that out. is really cool um, uh, the cello also just seems yeah. like a really beautiful instrument to be able to play like obviously mm-hmm. any instrument's cool to be able to play but, but it kind of goes cello. hand in hand oh. with the bass right mm-hmm. like a, yeah. a lot of bass players could play like a stand-up bass or a cello or something uh, seems right just because the stand-up bass and the cello look science kind of lines up for that one. The same? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> um, but he's another one. So when he was a kid, he was injured in the, a football game, and his right hand had gotten stepped on. Ugh. And as a result, when his index finger healed, it like healed just badly, and it was misshapen. And right. he still, that was the hand that he did his like strumming with, like the mm. picking. Yeah. And a lot of these players were not, I don't want to say, like, disabled. They weren't disabled, but they had, like, a... Oh, some kind of thing working against them, like, injury Yeah, like, missing the tip of your finger or... Missing Like, something with their hands that it... Yeah, yeah, a missing arm. That's kind of a big one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, Def Leppard. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but that... You see, like, a lot of musicians persevere through injuries that would otherwise affect their ability to play music, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which is really inspiring, and I, I like knowing those things about these guys. Not mm-hmm. that, like, you know, the tip of your finger is going to, like, make or break you as a bass player, but still, it, it would have to do with... I mean, you know, I feel and, like sure a lot of people could him. easily use that as an excuse to be like, oh, I can't play anymore. Or, you know, like, oh, I extent. can't get that. Yeah. Um, right. I will say this is not related to music, but my dad, when he was really little, I don't know how old he was. Um, he broke, I think, his left pinky like on a door. Mm-hmm. The door Ugh. got slammed on it or something when he was like playing mm-hmm. with his brothers or something. And it never healed right. And so he can't like straighten his pinky out. So I, I wonder if he ever wanted to play the guitar if he could really you know use the pinky at all but yeah uh he doesn't so no worries <laughs> just well, we uh, have, uh actually <laughs> <laughs> um adam the one that does our uh-huh. music the intro outro music he had something like that in the i think it was the same thing like a door slammed on his finger and took like the tip of his index finger i think it's his index finger um off and he plays guitar. I was gonna say, really look well, at that. You know, and he's still playing. I know, <laughs> and he's persevering. So look at you guys. You just you make it happen. You want it. You live it. You dream it. <laughs> you yeah. make it happen. Um, yeah, Dusty Hill was also a big Elvis Presley fan. I don't know if he actually got to ever see him live. 
but he grew up on blues music. All three of those guys had really deep-rooted appreciation for blues, and it was really counterculture to the other white families in the area because those right. kids, they just... They thought that like everybody liked that music and mm-hmm. that you know everybody listened to it. And so when they were in school, they're like, oh, like that. Mm-hmm. They started realizing how not yeah. <laughs> popular that type of music was in their area. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Dusty began singing with his older brother Rocky, and they started when he was like eight years old. They started playing like little gigs for money. And he, I think the story went that like they were singing and people started throwing like dollars and change like up on the table. And he stopped and asked his mom, like, what's that? And she's like, well, they're like, mm-hmm. they're showing that they appreciate it, that they like you. And so he like, just like took the money and ran, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're like eight years old. Yeah. Um, but then he, that's when he first realized that you could make money doing something like that. I think it's funny. So Rocky, I can't remember his brother's real name, but Rocky's a nickname. And so they're Dusty Hill and Rocky Hill. <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So Dusty, probably this, you know, spurred when he's eight and making money and like, oh, this is the life. Like, I'm going to keep going with this. Mm-hmm. So he did not perform very well in school. And he even said, like, part of the problem was he started to resent school because he was already playing in bars and able to make some money. Obviously, probably not like tons but by 13 he's doing that so school just seemed to be like ah, getting in the way of you know making yeah. money playing in bars and i thought that was funny and since like we mentioned a second ago he played the cello and bass you know was not his first instrument and he didn't like take lessons and do it that way he kind of just was thrown into it so i'm gonna read a quote from him it says I kind of learned how to play on stage and whatnot, and embarrassment is a great motivator. If you don't play well, standing up there with the lights on, it really stands out. So it behooves you to get your shit up pretty quick. And <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's that true. is a good motivation. Like, I don't want to look like a dumbass up there. So you got to figure mm-hmm. it out and stuff. I mean, I can't say that would motivate me enough to be good at something. Like, I'd probably be super embarrassed, but I can't say that I would be like, you know what? I got this now. <laughs> like, I got this. But he already yeah, had, like, the like foundational skills with cello. But, yeah, go ahead. Right. Yeah, and his brother was like, hey, we need a bassist. And so he's thinking, like, okay, cool, we're going to get a bassist. Mm-hmm. And he's like, his brother's like, no, like, you're going to play the bass. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of like the the gist for, like, some of the bassists. Like, they don't necessarily seek out the bass, but mm-hmm. a bass is needed. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> somebody that doesn't already have... The instrument is like, oh, I'll play bass. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> like, I want to be in the band. I can do this. Like, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And then here's our, I feel like we should keep a tally of mm-hmm. every time we talk about Cream in each episode. Seriously. Um, so one of his early influences as, ba- as a bassist was Jack Bruce mm-hmm. of Cream. So there's another mm-hmm. one. I, I really wonder how many times we've brought him up now or like how many different Probably bands every episode. <laughs> looked up to somebody in Cream. Um, and yeah. some jazz bassists, Stanley Clark and Charles Mingus. So mm-hmm. some people. And like we said, him, Dusty and Rocky played in, in a bunch of bands together growing up. And one of the bands that they played together was called the Warlocks. And it was like Lady Wild in the Warlocks or mm-hmm. something. And she was like this girl from uh, UK. And they were like in the 60s, if you had 
an English, like a pretty English singer, <laughs> like you were, mm-hmm. you were good. <laughs> like, um, and so they, one night, uh, Frank Beard's band that he was in opened for the Warlocks at the Cellar Club mm-hmm. where they were playing. And kind of like how Rocky was like, hey, you're going to play bass. <laughs> he told Dusty, so you see that drummer up there? We need a new drummer. That's our drummer. And <laughs> Dusty was like, I don't know. And he's like, no, I'm not asking. I'm telling you that's our new drummer. And that's how Frank Beard came. <laughs> Frank Beard and, and Dusty Hill met each other. Mm-hmm. And right when they started playing together, they realized that they were really in sync with each other. You've got the drums and the bass, two, uh, two instruments that you know keep the, the rhythm and tempo and... Mm-hmm. They really just meshed well together. So they knew that they had something. They uh, played in a few bands with his brother, Rocky, and Frank Beard. And their last band was called American Blues. But so initially when like when you're saying stuff like that, like Rocky knew put, you know, Dusty on bass and like, no, that's going to be our drummer, like Frank, like calling it out. And it mm-hmm. seems like, hey, he's got an eye for this. Like it clearly was working. But... Rocky wanted to play more blues, and the other two, Frank and Dusty, wanted to go in more of a rock direction and have, like, that, you know, rock and roll element added. So Rocky left the group, and Dusty and Frank ended up moving to Houston, where they joined with Billy Gibbons. And so that is obviously a pretty huge moment in their band histories when they made that decision when Rocky left. Yeah, and it was, so Billy Gibbons was still playing with the Moving Sidewalks at that time, Mm -hmm. and a couple of their members had gotten drafted into the war in 1968, and so that kind of brought the Moving Sidewalks down to a trio, and they were going to continue it as a trio, but then the drummer and the bassist eventually moved on to other endeavors, and that just left him as the sole survivor, and then he met Frank Beard, and Frank Beard uh, was like, hey, I know this really good bassist. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how the lineup as we know it, ZZ Top, was born. Yes. So ZZ Top, which we kind of referred to this earlier, their name is a reference or homage to B.B. King, um, which I, it, it seems obvious kind of now looking at it, but I have no idea because <laughs> yeah. B.B. ZZ. Um, and they used top because the king must stay on top. They didn't want it to seem like too much of an obvious ripoff to say like ZZ mm-hmm. King. So, yeah, they used top instead so it didn't seem too close. And the ZZ, um, how they got those initials, was based on a Texan blues singer, um, ZZ Hill. That's I can't remember his actual like born given name, but um, ZZ Hill was like his you know artist name. Um, so both, you know, paying tribute to blues singers and blues artists so that's pretty important yeah and they i think we mentioned this earlier too is that all three of these guys they didn't know each other growing up but as kids they all listened to the same blues stations and there was like the one station it was like station x or something yeah yeah um out of mexico and it was like really heavy on the blues and rock um, and it would play like Muddy Waters, B.B. King, Howlin' Wolf, like all these artists that have really um, like very bluesy uh, foundation. And so that's what they grew up listening to. But one of their very first 
Al- one of their very first shows that they did was in Alvin, Texas, which is like this tiny little town. And they said they were like behind the curtain, right? Mm-hmm. And the curtain comes up and there's one guy standing there (laughs) and he looked like super lost and he like turned around to leave and they're like no 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 stay stay we're gonna play the whole show for you and they ended up playing like an hour for him and then like during their um like intermission like they played for like 30 minutes and then took a break and they bought him a coke and they were i was it's in that documentary Uh but it's dusty hill telling like the retelling the story and he's just like giggling about it he's like we even played an encore for him (laughs) it was so funny and that same guy had attended several of their shows throughout the mm-hmm. years, and he would always be like, hey, remember me? I'm the guy. But, like, he would never tell them his actual name or, like, who he was. He just kept showing up and was like, hey, remember me? And they're like, yeah, we remember you. I love that. I love that he never said the name. Yeah. Like, it just stayed a thing mm-hmm. the whole time. It's like the mystery yeah. fan that just kept coming. But I, I feel like that's amazing. One, an amazing experience for that guy because he can say, like, oh, I saw ZZ Top, like, with a personal concert. But also me thinking about myself in that situation, even in just like smaller venues, I have a hard time like, oh, I want to look at the singer. But if the singer makes eye contact, I'm uncomfortable like immediately. Like, and I cannot imagine being the one person. I feel like I would just be so nervous. Like, where do I look? What do I do? I mean, obviously it's really cool for him. But personally, I would be like, oh my God, (laughs) this is too much. Yeah. Almost. So... Just so everyone knows, I'm a nervous wreck. (laughs) (laughs) That is accurate. Yeah. All right. So, my again, my favorite part, song meanings and, like, their discography a little bit. So, their first Mm -hmm. two albums, uh, the first one was ZZ Top's first album. That's, like, the name of it. Was in 1971, and <laughs> I like their, that. yeah, their second album was Rio Grande Mud in 1972, and both of them um, like established their sound as like blues, as southern, as kind of like I saw this term a few times, boogie rock, which I thought was a cool term. Yeah, um, yeah, and they sound good. They sound definitely different than the songs that made them the most popular, but. Um, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed both of those. There was a few songs that almost made it to my deep cut from mm-hmm. uh, Real Grand Mud, the second album. But I was like, no, and then I a different one won out. But yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was real hard to to choose one because I feel like a lot of their songs, even the older, lesser known ones, the ones that aren't really played on the radio, are still like pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their um yeah their third album, Tres Hombres, which means mm-hmm. three men. Um, was released in 1973, and in some ways, it's their breakthrough album. Um, I don't know how everyone defines that. I don't know. I wonder if it's like an across-the-board definition of like this one had a hit, so it's the breakthrough album or whatever. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a little bit bigger for them because it had Lagrange on it, which we're getting to in a minute. But one thing I thought was interesting mm-hmm. was this was the first album where they worked with Terry Manning, um, who engineered and kind of mixed for them, um, and he had just worked on Led Zeppelin's third album. And ZZ Top yeah. really liked that sound and wanted to work with him. So, again, I ne- really need to look into engineering, mixing, composing, arranging, like, <laughs> all these jobs because, yeah, that's It's, like, way above my head. Yeah. But uh, something else on this album. So their manager was Bill Ham, 
and he was also like a producer but he had also like been an artist and so he kind of knew both sides of it and when they were doing this uh, recording this album he was very against like he didn't want them to like double over anything or like because they wanted to get that bigger sound oh like uh-huh, Zeppelin, uh-huh. you know yeah and so it was I guess it was Terry Manning he was like well let's um like you go play it and then d- we'll double it like play it again mm-hmm. we're gonna distort it a little bit and Bill Ham was like no we're not doing that at all mm-hmm. and so they were like, hey, why don't you run and get us some lunch yeah. or something? And so they sent him out, and then they're like, okay, let's do it. And so they play it, and then they distort the – he said he went and, like, pulled the strings a little bit and, like, you know, made him out of tune, and then he played the same thing, and they doubled it. So when he, Bill Ham got back, they were like, oh, yeah, we found our sound, we found our sound, and they played it for him. He's like, yes, this is it, this is it. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Tricky. <laughs> So, yeah, I thought that was a really funny story. And just like the things that they did to try to get the sound that they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a very crisp idea of what they wanted. And mm-hmm. they knew like, yes, we're there. No, we're not there. And so that and right. that brings us to LaGrange, um, where you'll talk more about like what that song means and, and mm-hmm. stuff. But whenever, you know, he he has... Billy Gibbons sings that one, and he has, like, a real raspy drawl, like, yeah, like, like it's low, and I can't do it, but real good, and (laughs) they were saying, like, to to get that sound for him back then, because even, even, like, starting out, he was, like, in his early 20s, and he sounded like a 60-year-old smoking man, like, you know, (laughs) he did sound so much older. He had such a gruff voice, but he, and so, like, it was, like, real cold outside. It had been, like, snowing or something, and he, like, stripped down and, like, ran a couple laps around the mm-hmm. building and came in and was like, ah, and he was like, okay, let's go. Like, let's record it. Because <laughs> he had the, like, the sound he was looking for. Was yeah. Like, I don't know. But he d- he definitely grew into that voice to where he probably doesn't have to, like, you know. Yeah. Run that around a building me, to get the gruff voice. He just has it. That makes me think of like the dumbest personal connection. But like, you know, when you're like losing oh, your gosh. voice, and sometimes it sounds cool to an extent. Oh, yeah. Me and Shauna used to like really love that and be like, "Oh, I'm losing my voice," and like, you know, try to like sing our songs that way or just like, you know, say stupid things. But we thought it was like really cool. Um, and obviously it, sometimes it can hurt especially if you're like actually sick and not just like losing your voice um but yeah. it was like oh man it's getting better and i started to sound like my normal self again oh <laughs> man oh man yeah um okay so i'm excited about this one so lagrange which i'm sure mm-hmm. everybody knows and they're very everybody famous for it. um so a few interesting things about it one is <laughs> just like led zeppelin which we have already just recently talked about is they did face a lawsuit because of like that beginning like riff of the song is Mm -hmm. based on another song um called boogie chillin by john lee hooker Mm -hmm. and um that line that you've been doing like "Uh uh is from Mm -hmm. a different song from the same guy called boom boom so the Mm -hmm. cases were dismissed they didn't end up um having to do anything because uh, i can't remember the term but it was like you know uh, available to everyone. I can't remember the legal term, but it was traditional. Yeah, but 
I, yeah, it's traditional. You're right. And then there was another term with C. I can't remember. Um, anyway, so the song, I knew it was about a city in Texas. I knew that because I've seen the signs as you're driving to Houston or, you know, certain areas. And it's actually about a brothel on the outskirts mm-hmm. of LaGrange. And LaGrange, the city, for those who aren't aware, it's about an hour southeast from Austin. Um, yeah. It's so a real place. It's a real place. And I didn't realize they were talking about one specific, like, establishment of LaGrange. I just thought it was, like, in general, LaGrange. Yeah. And it's about a brothel. So the brothel is also called the Chicken Ranch. And it's actually the same brothel that inspired the Broadway play and the film the best little whorehouse in Texas, which I've never seen them. I've, I've heard of them, but I've never seen it. Yeah. Um, it's like uh, Dolly Parton and who's her um, I, with the, the mustache? Um, Burt Reynolds, right? Oh, maybe. I don't I don't even I got to look at it. You know what? That'll be on our list to watch. Um, yeah, then we'll add that to the, the list. Yeah, we get a long list. Uh, so, yeah, so the Chicken Ranch was a farmhouse, a true farmhouse, and it was open from 1905 to 1973 with no signs advertising that it's a brothel or anything. But, of course, people knew, especially the politicians and the local law enforcement and the men in the area figured it out pretty quick. Um, and I'm sure word spread like crazy. But the reason it got its name, so Miss Jessie, who was the owner at one time, um, had to lower their prices during the Great Depression. So she started charging, quote, one chicken for one screw. So because of that, uh, the chicken population was huge. So, so many people are still going and they're like, oh, I got a chicken. So, you know, uh, so they got very famous in, as the chicken ranch because there's so many chickens. So what she would do in turn was sell the chickens and the eggs they hatch. And that's how she would like, you know, pay her girls and pay herself and run the run the place. Um, so we're actually talking about like actual living chickens. Yeah, they, the okay. people who were going to for their services were bringing a chicken for one screw, and it was like one of the things was like per sexual act you have to bring a chicken, and because the Great Depression <laughs> hit everybody so hard, they don't got money to like do all this, but they had chickens, oh. <laughs> so I guess okay. it was you know worth so it. Something that I read. And I don't, I think this was Billy Gibbons saying this. It was one of either him or Dusty. And I don't know if they were being honest or not, but he was saying that uh, he was like, it's something that Texas boys did when like they were going to become, he called it like when they're going to become a guy. Like, so I mm-hmm. guess like become a man yeah. as you went there and you got it done. And he said he went there when he was 13. Oh and gosh. I was like, I don't know. Is that a true story? I I mean, I don't know. But I feel like I've seen shows now and movies and like as a joke. It's usually as a joke like, oh, my dad took me or had me go with a prostitute just to get it over with so I could become a man. And so I don't know if that's true or if he's just kind of like hopping on. But I mean. uh, And there was like another thing where like when Texas A&M and UT would play each other, like mm -hmm. the winning team would go and celebrate them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) There was also, I think I had started writing it out but there was something too that had to do with like freshman hazing or something at a&m or initiation or something where they would have to go there i don't know if they had to like partake in all the services but it was like a thing um i'll look into that and i'll add it in the show notes um because in the 
I think it was Billy Gibbons who was saying this, like that he went there when he was 13 and he was like, now he called her, I think Miss Edna, uh, who was like, <laughs> she did not look like Dolly Parton. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. Yeah. Let me see. It was... Yeah, we'll add that to our list of of movies to watch. It it is Burt Reynolds. It's Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. Yeah, I had started looking into it because I saw it on something that didn't look super um, official. And so whenever I tried Mm -hmm. looking into it, it didn't come up again. So I was like, ah, maybe that wasn't true. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Here's one. I feel like ZZ Top is another one of those bands. So they weren't, Bill Ham didn't really allow them to do like interviews or appearances. Like they always wanted to be on like Johnny Carson and stuff. And Mm -hmm. they weren't until like way later. Um, Mm -hmm. But they're very private too. And so like, even though like interviewers would like ask them super like personal questions, they wouldn't, they didn't like put themselves out there. Like they're, their music was one thing and their, you know, showmanship was one thing, but their private lives were private and mm-hmm. they did a really good job of keeping them that way because there's not a lot of information that you can right. find on their personal lives. Um, we'll dive into like a little bit of, of what we did find, but I was like, good for them for being able to, you know, be as big and like iconic as they are and still have that privacy. Yeah. Because everybody deserves to have, you know, not have your life book out in the open. Book, yeah. Well, um, so back to the brothel. The brothel was known, um, like I said, by law enforcement. And several local sheriffs made it like a whole thing to go there often to hear the gossip. And if anyone, like, did any of the men, like, you know, in the throes of passion... (laughs) confess to any crimes or were they like telling secrets or you know like saying (laughs) these things or were there any clues and one of the sheriffs like it was like um passed down from sheriff to sheriff like when a new sheriff would come they were like kind of like hey this is a good source for information and obviously kept them from like closing down too but um and they would also like listen for clues and one of them even had a direct line from the brothel to his office for like so he didn't have to keep going every time he could just be like if there's information, let me know, or I can call, he can call there and mm-hmm. ask about certain people, I'm sure. Um, and what's funny is the album came out in 1973, and the chicken ranch was closed August 1st of 1973, because a reporter yeah. ran an expose on the ranch. And it's like, apparently some people were like super for it, but then other people were like, what? It's like, you know, it's an institution at this point. Like, it's like there's a, a whorehouse deal. in Texas. Yeah, but it's like, uh, supposedly the sheriff that had to close it down was reluctant to do so. And later yeah. on, he was credited with solving every murder and bank robbery during his term. And mm. that that credit was due to the chicken ranch because that's how he would find out this, his information. And obviously, who knows if they were all arrested, you know. I feel like got the, the right people, was done but. like when one of the teams, like I think it yeah. was A&M, was like they're celebrating, right? yeah. I think so, but it's just funny timing. Like as soon as the song is out and yeah. everyone knows, then it's like, oh, it's closed now. And I mean, maybe tons of people knew about it. It was just could have been common knowledge already, but yeah, yeah. So think I think of all I was the like, business wow. they could have got. <laughs> yeah. So now that that's another one of those songs that like every time I hear it now, I'm gonna be thinking of like 
chickens for sex kind of stuff. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to like... But not not bestiality. (laughs) You know what I hear now? Not that. (laughs) All right. Nobody ever listens to LaGrange again. Just skip that one. All right. Um, And the other... The other really big Moving song on to something from the album was Tush, but they sing it as Tush and it Tush. bothers me. Yeah. So Why? a lot of people a lot of people hear Touch and that's what I always would sing it as like look at Flossum Tush. And it's Oh, I always think it's Tush. I think it's yeah, but it's Tush, tush. but why would you say it is touch? And this is the part when you were saying earlier, like, oh, it rhymes. apparently in Texas they do this. I can't remember what you were talking about earlier when you said that. But so I read somewhere that um, it says that some people in Texas used it as a slang for luxurious or lavish. And I was like, what? Oh, I, yeah, don't yeah. I don't know. Like, anyone. Very I don't know anyone. I could see that with being like lush like or. Tush. Yeah, but. I can't see touch. Do you hear people saying tush used in that way? I, I don't hear people say I mean, tush no. in general. I hear tush. I say and- tushy. Okay. Tushy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, that's different. <laughs> when I had the kids, I was like, oh, look, 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 look tushy. Yeah. <laughs> um, when they were babies. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so... For some people, they were like, oh, it's a double entendre. I was like, it's obviously about butts or like ass. Like, I don't understand. But that's he, that's what it's... he said, though. He said, yeah, it, yeah Dusty Hill, he was saying, because he's the one that sings it. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, like, it's it could be about, like, look at that tush on that girl. Mm-hmm. Or it could be like, look at those fine clothes. They're so tush or tush. I don't know. I just feel like that's a stretch. And it's like, well, is it? I don't know. I mean, I didn't write the song. I don't know. It was also Could hard to uh, hear, like, a lot, uh, like, their explanations of what the songs meant or how they got to them. I was like, I don't really follow what you're saying at all, yeah. but the song is really good. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners to our podcast could probably understand, because listening back, <laughs> the way I start sentences we have no and then idea get to the end. About. Yeah. The way I get to the end, I've, I've, like, look, I'm doing it right now. I've heard myself try to form sentences sometimes, and I'm like, wow, I had like four different starts to that sentence, and then I just arrived at the end, and it didn't sound coherent at all. But you anyway. Took a scenic route. Yeah, we did. Um, so this song was written in just 10 minutes at Soundcheck, was a very, mm-hmm. became a very well-known song for them, and it was, so spoiler alert, um, or uh, maybe that's a sad way to put it, <laughs> sorry. Um, oh, God. Um, it was usually their closing song for tours, and Dusty Hill would sing it. So two days after mm-hmm. he died, he did pass away last year, um, Gibbons put his yeah. hat on the mic and sang it, which I thought was a really yeah. sweet way to do that. And then a few days later, he told the yeah. crowd, um, quote, we're going to have Dusty singing through the magic of Memorex. Um, and supposedly that, that's how they still end their performances. Um, is having Dusty still singing at the end to close it with that song, um, but just through a recording. And I thought that was really neat. So, yeah. yeah he, the we'll talk hat more thing about reminded it, me of um, Linear, Leonard Skinner. Didn't they do that? Oh, like, yeah. Hat on the mic. For Ronnie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. yeah. yeah, that's, and I mean, I wouldn't, 
it's kind of hard to say like what uh, I think when we talked about this earlier, like what genre of music uh, ZZ Top is, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't classify them by any means as Southern rock. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would say that they're within like that hemisphere, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. they're not. I wouldn't put them like on the same like uh, Marshall Tucker band and. Mm. Leonard Skinner, because ZZ Top had a lot more right. bluesy and then rock and roll. They weren't. Yeah, and like then so they jumped to like synthesizers on the yeah, further yeah, down exactly. the line. Okay, and yeah, I see that one. That's where yeah. we get to now with so when after their uh, what was it their Fandango album? I think it was. Oh yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, Fandango. They went. They embarked on this huge tour it was called the worldwide texas tour Mm because they were all like super proud of being from texas and they wanted to show texas to the world and uh so what that meant to them is that they had this huge like i think it was like seven trucks that had to travel um just to set up the a huge stage in the shape of texas Mm -hmm. and it was like um they had live animals, which included uh, like a buffalo and some vultures and I think a steer <laughs> and mm-hmm. javelina and uh, rattlesnakes even. <laughs> and so they would have these animals on tour with them. And during one of the sets, apparently the buffalo like rammed the snake pit and like some of the rattlesnakes like were released and got out <laughs> like a very harry potter moment or something <laughs> um but i was like oh my gosh that's crazy and they made sure to say like there were animal trainers and veterinarians that traveled with them to ensure the safety of the animals during the tour because of course they had like a bunch of like animal rights activists that were like yeah hey and i'm not sure like being on the stage maybe it's because they were behind the speakers it wasn't as like like crazy loud for them but I can't Mm -hmm. imagine that that would be like super (laughs) good for the animals but it was funny in that documentary on Netflix uh Frank Beard was talking (laughs) the buzzards were like right behind the drum kit (laughs) and so he's like you know if I was playing a real slow beat and I wasn't moving much, they'd be like, get real interested and be like, oh, is this guy dead? <laughs> and he'd have to start moving around and they'd leave him alone. <laughs> That's hilarious. But something else that I learned about buzzards, which I had no idea, is how old they could live. They, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, because this, the guy, he was, um, he was a rodeo clown who was like the trainer for the buzzards and he was like talking he showed he was like yeah she's uh she's one of the ones that went on tour with us back it was like 1976 and she's like uh 49 she'll be 50 soon and i was like what 50 years old <laughs> but yeah they can in the wild buzzards live about 16 years on average but in captivity they've been known to live over 50 years i'm like she's that is crazy. Something else that, that is either. completely unrelated, but like <laughs> blew my mind is, you know, um, I call them chachadas, but the cicadas, oh, uh-huh. uh, they are like, they are born underground 
and they live underground get this for like 17 years oh wow those bugs yeah is yeah it? and then they come out and they're like the big old you know what they are and mm-hmm. they mate and they like shed their skin which is the little brown things that you find and that's what we call the chichadas um mm-hmm. and then they like die <laughs> there's like a name for them. yeah i it's so a weird connection i guess to it is like i um there's like a name for this thing isn't it um i was watching hot ones the hot wing interview show and lord oh, yeah, was on yeah. it and she talked about it i want to say if I'm not mistaken, if that's what she's talking about, um, I can't remember what the ter- oh the emergence, right or something like that. Uh, I'll have to look at it yeah, again. I mean, that would make um, sense. But she brought that up in it, and I was like, "What?" And then I saw it everywhere after that. It's like one of those I can't remember that term yeah. either. But like you hear it once, and then you hear it referenced everywhere else. Um, so yeah, oh, that sounds it's familiar the something to me. effect. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's interesting and funny. <laughs> It'll come to us later. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was so funny. Uh, not funny, but like crazy. That blew my mind. 17 years. And then uh, it made me so mad the other, not the other <laughs> night, but like a month ago. Uh, our dog, Opal, I opened the door and let her outside at night to go to the bathroom. And she immediately, there was one on the uh, big cicada on the um, patio. And she ran out and like just crunched it. And I was like, oh, boy. was it just the he skin just, or was like, it a real survive? One? <laughs> oh, no, it was a real one. It was like, <laughs> you know He's how loud they are. So much. And I was like, oh, boy. and she looked at me and she just like crunch. And I was oh. like, mm. all those years just that to portal. end like this. I know. I hope he had a chance to mate. Or something like before. I like, hope he sowed his uh, seeds before he his <laughs> I hope he got to give a chicken. <laughs> oh my god! Oh. Got his chicken's worth. <laughs> oh this my god! This is taking a turn. Okay, it really right. has. So sorry, <laughs> listeners. So, getting back to the Eliminator album, you hear a huge transition of sound and a lot of that has to do because after that worldwide texas tour the guys were just like super burnt out they wanted to take a little break and it was supposed to be like a three-month break where they just kind of go out and like do their own things find themselves ended up being like three years (laughs) and so during that three years uh i think like billy gibbons went to europe and was like traveling around europe he was like into the punk scene like the london punk and then um he got into i think he went to india and was like um being taught by gurus you know how like Mm kind of like the beatles and yeah that's um, that kind of thing so he was he was doing that uh frank beard took his money that he earned on the tour and just bought a bunch of drugs (laughs) like that's what he did and he it was crazy he said that the first drugs he ever did were uh, he said he shot up lsd and i was like that is a big first like that's that's big right like you would think Mm -hmm. i don't know like something small like he would smoke weed or something and maybe he didn't consider that a hard drug or something but Mm -hmm. injecting lsd is the first time you ever did drugs (laughs) it's 
pretty intense. I mean, I don't yeah. know how much you can, where you can go from there, but apparently heroin, heroin was where Yeah, I, I was going to say, I feel uh, like the, when I think see. of hard drugs, I think of heroin, uh, meth, crack, like those. Like So LSD obviously is not like is cocaine, a lot. Yeah. I, well, I feel like weed and cocaine are a little like I guess starters I don't know almost. that much about it. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like yeah. LSD and acid to me are like, like a step LSD up from seems weed like and crazy. cocaine. Oh yeah, I, I mean I think it's yeah. crazy for that to be the first one, I guess. But I I think heroin, meth, all the and was that the one I yeah. said? crack or higher up in the well. The good thing is yeah. that he realized that he needed help and he put himself into rehab, and so he went through. And I couldn't find anything about this, but I'm assuming that he's been sober since then because there wasn't really any information. I, yeah, um, I think, and we'll talk about it in the where are they now. I think. Um, okay. He is. Well, my favorite one was what Dusty Hill did uh, during this little hiatus is. He went to yeah. work at the airport just yeah. to feel normal again. And mm-hmm. he just wanted to, like, be grounded and go somewhere. Because this is before they had their long beards. And he did have a beard. But when he was working at the airport, he wasn't going by Dusty Hill. He was going by his given name, Joe. Huh. And so everybody just knew him as Joe. So he could go out, like, drinking with his buddies at night. And, like, everybody was just like, hey, it's Joe. Yeah. And they didn't, like, say anything. And... If anybody did, uh, <laughs> if anybody was like, hey, aren't you that guy? He'd be like, no, do you think I'd be sitting here? <laughs> and it makes sense, right? Like, yeah. kind of gaslighting them. Like, no, you're crazy. Why would I be here if that was me? <laughs> like, yeah. What are you thinking? That's not me. No. Yeah, but I love, I love watching. If you have not seen the Netflix documentary, that little old band from Texas, go watch it. That's actually mm-hmm. what, like put the fire in my belly to start this podcast. Yeah, I remember, I remember watching that and I got like super hyped up and I was like, we need to do something and called you and we talked about it and we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like oh, when you pitched so this to me at first, and you're like, I have a huge question and like I have a whole presentation yeah. for you and stuff and I was like, oh God, what is this going to be about? And you had, we had already talked about the ZZ Top documentary and then you were like, all right. Yeah what if we had a podcast talking about classic rock bands? And I was like, yes, immediately. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh, I'm in. <laughs> you don't even have to show me your, I, I literally had a presentation for you <laughs> with like did. an outline. <laughs> like, yeah. And here's I was like, what I'm we in. could do. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm in. Yeah. And it was all because of this, this, uh, really well done documentary. Yeah. It was very well done. So that, uh, yeah, that brings us to this eighth album, Eliminator, which was released in 1983. And I think yeah. you want to talk a little bit about the background and some of the songs on there. So between the first two albums that we talked to, first three albums, sorry, um, with LaGrange and Tush, there was several other albums in between that um, did all right. Um, you know, respectable numbers. But their huge album was Eliminator, which was their eighth studio album mm. and released in 1983. And um, you had kind of talked about this, but over their break, they had all grown and changed and they were willing, all of them, to experiment a little bit. So 1983, we know from our other mm. episodes, like the landscape of rock and roll was pretty different from when they first started out in the 70s. 
And so yeah. 1983, 1984, I feel like 1984, as we've done every episode, 1984 just becomes like a monumental year for most of the bands we've talked about. Um, yeah. So this one was 1983, but this is the well, pretty... Did... Oh, go ahead. When did MTV premiere? Was it 1984? Because I feel like that was kind of like a turning point for a lot of bands, um, too. It was August 1st, 19... Oh. Was it 19... 19- I thought it was 1981 for some reason, but it might not have been. Oh, yeah, it was 81. It was oh, 81. Okay. Oh, 81, 81. Yeah, that makes you. sense. I'm going to remember that now. It's August 1st, 1981. Oh, yeah. Um, you know I'm weird with numbers sometimes. No, I'll remember it. I know um, you are. I was like, I'll so, try to remember it, but you'll remember it for sure. <laughs> Well, now with 8181. Anyway, this is called Eliminator because the cover and several of the music videos coming after this um, had this red car, very recognizable hot rod red car. And it has like a yellow Z on the sides for obviously for ZZ Top. And it actually belongs to Billy Gibbons and he named the car Eliminator. and this album sold more than 11 million copies, which is like 10 times more than any of their other albums or some huge amount. Um, but they got a lot of new fans, gained so many new fans with this album. But some of their old diehard fans, they didn't like the direction they went in because they started adding synthesizers. They had drum machines and they increased the tempo in a lot of their songs. Like we talked about, a lot of them were just like really big instrumental like slower mm-hmm. groove songs and this album changed yeah. a lot of that so but it kind of made them match the sound of the times which is probably what helped them get so much success with these singles yeah. um and so dusty hill compared it to the world's reaction when when dylan bob dylan went from folk to rock and how it was like whoa what are we where are we going now and yeah. not everybody was pleased a lot of people did not like it or felt like it was like not true to you know the band or the Mm -hmm. artist that was doing it and um yeah but it was super successful for them and like treason (laughs) yeah it's like you traitor (laughs) um yeah so their three of their biggest songs from this album were give me all your lovin sharp dressed man and legs and so the first single from the album was give me all your lovin and it was a huge hit um in part due to the music video And MTV had just come out and the timing could not have been better for the band because um, the so I went back and rewatched the videos. It's like so Mm -hmm. like basic of of a video, like compared to like what we see now, especially, of course. But even like compared to other uh, music videos of the time, it really is just like these three guys kind of like with a little you know, rock in their bodies and they're just moving along, but it's mostly the car and the girls. And then the, um, the like gas station mechanic guy who's working on Mm -hmm. cars. And, um, it's just funny to watch now. Yeah, They were like, we just got to be the musicians. That's all we ever got to be. We just kept playing our music and they drove off with the guy. Yeah. (laughs) Like with the girls. It's just, it's funny to watch them. And I feel like I want to do that now. (laughs) Maybe like when we see each other again, it's like whenever the car is speeding by and they, there's a video or a clip of the the three guys like standing (sighs) and they do the like two fingers pointing like, Uh yeah, it just went by. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what we would do that for, but I'm like, oh, I love that. Uh Um, Cause it just, it's like, you know how we talked about funny. I don't know. uh, 
Yeah, you know how we talked about, like, in the Motley Crue episode that, uh, so Craig, oh. my husband, doesn't really like um, dressing up for Halloween, mm-hmm. but I so badly wanted to dress up as ZZ Top with him, because <laughs> oh, I was like, he would have made such a good Billy Gibbons, and then I could have been yeah. Dusty Hill. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. But, yeah, yeah, we would just... It would have been so fun. Yeah, you should have done it when you guys had just Nora so that she could be Frank Beard. (gasps) Oh, you guys would have been cute too. (laughs) That's funny. Maybe Um, I can get. Oh, wouldn't that be so cute though if Nora and Jack dressed up? (laughs) Oh, you could do your three kids. I could do mine. I don't know which ones would be. You have a little trio. Yeah, I do. Just put little beards on the kids. I feel like there's. I'm going to have to Google that now. Like little, little kids dressing as ZZ Top. I'm sure they do it all the time and it's adorable. Yeah. Um, and they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me see. But yeah, the give give me all your love, and I I would sing that to the kids, especially when they were younger. And I was like, give me all your love, all your hugs and kisses too. <laughs> That's cute. Just to get them to cuddle. <laughs> well, that um, music video is pretty important because it kind of set um, the stage for their music videos moving forward, mm-hmm. and it was directed by someone named Tim Newman and. His cousin is the songwriter, Randy Newman, of the Toy Story fame, where he sings that you've got a friend in me. And so, yeah, I thought that was a cool little connection. But Tim Newman goes on to direct the other two videos that I'm going to talk about. Um, So they're not exactly lined up stories altogether, but uh, similar themes and vibes through the songs, I mean, through the videos. So the next song is Sharp Dressed Man and... I like this little quote. Um, It's sharp dress depends on who you are. If you're on a motorcycle, really sharp leather is great. If you're a punk rocker, you can get sharp that way. You can be sharp or not sharp in any mode. It's all in your head. If you feel sharp, you be sharp. (laughs) And you be sharp. Yeah, you be sharp. And it's a like I said, a slight continuation of the "Give Me All Your Love." In it has like the same guy and everything. And something I thought you would think was interesting was the three girls that are in these videos were Playboy models. so you should find that interesting because Playboy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but what, <laughs> one of the oh, girls yeah, I love was someone named Gina Tomasino. And she mm-hmm. is now or later becomes Gina Co. I think is how you say your last name. It's K-E-O. Keo. Keo. Yeah. Okay. And Gina she is Keo. a star yeah. on The Real Housewives of Orange County, which I know you're a big fan of Bravo and Real Housewives. I don't know if you yes. pay attention to that one or not. Yes. Well, okay. So I did not realize that Gina was actually in this video and I went back and rewatched it and I was like, I can't see her, but obviously she doesn't look anything like what she looked like back then. Yeah. Um, A lot of those women have had a lot of work done and so they don't look a whole lot like themselves. But what's interesting is that another housewife, um, and I'll have to look and see like how many housewives actually happened. But Lisa Vanderpump from uh, Beverly Hills, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, there was a 1982 hit called Poison Arrow, and she is in that that music video by the band ABC. But anyway, I thought it was interesting, yeah, that there's a couple of Real Housewives in the music videos. <laughs> Obviously, I would think that Gina Keogh's role in a ZZ Top <laughs> video is a little more impressive but i'm interested (laughs) to see like what other housewives were possibly video vixens back in the day too Mm -hmm. that is interesting yeah 
And yeah. the last little tidbit about this song is even if you are not a classic rock like fan or not very familiar with the song, a big crowd was also exposed to it because it was the Duck Dynasty intro. Um, did you ever watch that show? It oh, was, really? I know it was huge for uh, a while. I I don't remember yeah. which season I saw or like how many episodes, but I have seen a few or had seen a few. And yeah, the intro is like, it's a family, the Robertson family, I think, or Roberts. Um, and yeah. they're like a family where they got, you know, big making duck calls like for hunting and stuff. And so oh, their yeah. intro is them like dressing up in like camo and jeans and stuff and like their huge beards, oh, which is kind of, of rubes. they're, yeah, I guess so, but they're, um, they've got the, <laughs> the beards and everything and the sunglasses. And so yeah. it, it's funny and makes sense for them to use ZZ Top and Sharp Dressed Man yeah. a little bit ironically there, but yeah. So probably yeah. like a huge audience that maybe had never heard that song would have been exposed to that mm-hmm. song also from that. And the third song from this album, like like I said, not quite a continuation, but still same people involved in the videos. Um, Legs. And I love this song. It has like the girls who, there's like a kind of timid girl who's like really shy and they're like, oh no, like in the video, you can see them like trying to give her confidence and it's kind of like the grease makeover of Sandy. Like, oh no, girl, like you got it. Like go put this on and go do this and you know strut instead of just like moping around or whatever it is um and they actually won the mtv vma for best group video and that was the first year for the award so it's pretty big music video um yeah i'm sure especially because people are watching it for the girls so it's not just watching it for a couple of bearded guys and the drummer (laughs) so and they've had so many albums so many albums. They've had 15 studio albums, four live albums, I think like seven compilation albums. And so they have gone on. Their biggest album remains Eliminator, the one we've just covered. Um, but a, I don't think I listened to, there's no way I listened to all 15. I don't remember how far I got, but um, mm-hmm. their music is stayed good. It definitely changed and went through uh, peaks and valleys, I'll say. <laughs> but um, yeah, that album was really, really good and really huge for them. But I will say many of their songs, and I kind of touched on this earlier and we talked about like they have a sense of humor, um, is a yeah. lot of their songs have, uh, I don't even know if they're innuendos as far as, I would say they're just like, oh, they just <laughs> changed out a word. Blatant. Yeah, it's pretty blatant. It's not yeah. like very hidden at all. But for example, they have a couple of songs um, that I just quickly found. Was One was Tube Snake Boogie, and the other one was Pearl Necklace. And I don't want to get too far into those, but I'm sure if you listen to them, you could figure out what they're about. Um, but yeah, like, again, this is them saying, like, oh, is that what it's about? I think it's more about this. And so, like, Tube Snake Boogie, which once you listen to it especially, it kind of sounds pretty obvious what they're talking about. But they were yeah. like, oh, it's actually about a surfboard. But when you go back and try to, you know, read the lyrics or listen to it in that context, some parts were like, oh, maybe. But there's parts where you're like, no, this is absolutely not about yeah. a surfboard. Like, that was another one know. where I was like, I just do not follow this at all. Yeah, I'm like, uh, why? I don't know. But it could have just been it's like, just again, with their little tune. sense of humor of just being like, oh, really? Oh, I think it's or we meant it more as this. And maybe it's an inside, Mm -hmm. not inside joke, but like a running joke, like let's never say it is or confirm it for sure. And 
I don't know. But that, so that's a good transition into our deep cut tracks because yes. my choice, we, it's funny that we both chose yeah. um, songs from the same album, their fifth album, Tejas, uh-huh. uh, released in 1976. And I chose the second song on that album, which is um, Arrested for Driving While Blind. I almost and, chose that one. I really almost And did. I almost That's chose funny. yours. That's funny. They had, <laughs> I know. That was such a good album. So, That's probably my favorite album of theirs. It was really good. Yeah, I listened to it quite a bit on loop. Um, and the reason why I like that song, it was just, it, it is one of those songs where it's kind of like the lyrics are funny. And mm-hmm. a lot of, they did get some flack over it though, because the yeah. whole, like, it's like, um, basically the gist of it is like, don't get arrested for driving drunk. Yeah, it's and a drunk driving song for people, sure. <laughs> Yeah, and people kind of thought that they were like glorifying driving drunk and like saying like, hey, it's great, go try it. And they were like, no, 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 that's not what we're saying. And in fact, Dusty Hill had, he had never gotten a DWI Mm -hmm. or DUI, but he did have some really close calls. Like he had some car accidents and wrecks where he was under the influence he was inebriated and he shouldn't have been driving and he had a wreck and he said it scared like the living shit out of him and that's kind of where that song came from is like don't get arrested for driving while blind don't drive drunk don't do that but it yeah the song itself is is kind of like all about driving while intoxicated and basically being blind yeah like it is yeah it is a really good catchy song like a groove yeah um so if you haven't heard it go listen to it's on their fifth album and then immediately after that song is your deep cut yeah so mine is el diablo and it's the third track on their album and i will say their first one i think it was called what is it like it's only love was the first one because that was mm-hmm. it was the song i did choose the song you chose and then their fir- the first one Wait, let me see I want to say it was, it's called, it's, it's only love. Yeah. That was the other one where I was like, oh, I like this one too. And then I ended up choosing El Diablo because I really like the story. So I like, I like that in lyrics. Um, it's about just a man and it just has that like classic Western feel of a song. And I really like that. Mm-hmm. Not, not the way they play it. Not the, not musically. I just mean like the. Did you hear the story about... So I'm going to read some lyrics. Did you ever hear the story that happened not long ago about the man with the tan, El Diablo de Mexico? Um, And this man played his hand and he lived by the luck of the draw. Now and then again, got him stepping outside of the law. And I don't know. It just has a cool feeling to it, like a classic Uh Western trope feel, I guess. So Yeah, and I like the songs like that that have more of like a story... Mm-hmm. Um, behind them, not just like uh, a couple of lyrics or something, but like an actual like we're gonna walk you through this story and yeah, and it's like the the mystique yeah. of the man or like in this case it's a man, but like mm-hmm. that whole like I don't know just sounds mysterious and like you want to know more and what's his story kind of thing and I I really enjoy that so it sounds cool and I enjoyed those kind of lyrics so that's my deep cut yeah. is El Diablo on their fifth album. Tejas. Noise. So no. let's get into some interesting facts about the band. Um, like we said before, 
uh, all the guys were the same age. They grew up on the same music. And then when they met, they realized that they had all these similarities. Um, and then after their, I don't know if we actually said this or not, but when they came back from the three-year hiatus, they, so that's when Dusty Hill and Billy Gibbons had both let their uh, beards grow out. Mm-hmm. And they had like the super long beards. Um, and they didn't plan that. They said that they didn't like get together and say, Hey, let's let our beards grow out. But that just happened. And they were like, Hey, let's roll mm-hmm. with it. Like, mm-hmm. let's make this a, a thing. And then that kind of became like their gimmick, their, uh, mm-hmm. look, um, again, very identifiable, those two. And <laughs> kind of funny, um, is they said they you know they would go out and after that they would start getting recognized right away but then frank beard you know he could continue on because Mm -hmm. he wasn't as recognizable so they'd be like hey hey he's he's the drummer yeah the drummer (laughs) in the band john paul jones that we talked about like he was always changing his hair and not that frank Mm -hmm. beard was always changing his hair but if he didn't have the two most iconic beards of the band then it's like oh yeah can kind of blend in everywhere else where John Paul Jones was changing his hair all the time. So he was not as recognizable and enjoyed the privacy or like the, and exactly the, and then, Oh my God, I'm going to do like the anonymity, anonymity thing, like An- finding anonymity. Nemi anonymity. Yes. Thank you. I know mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say, but okay, Nemo. Yeah. <laughs> Calm yourself down. Nemo. Yeah. Okay. So in 1984, uh, Billy and Dusty were offered a million dollars by the Gillette brand, uh, to shave their beards as part of an advertising campaign. And of course they refused it. They didn't take that offer. Something else that we thought was pretty interesting is that before ZZ Top, Billy Gibbons was already in the moving sidewalks, right? And mm-hmm. they opened for Jimi Hendrix. So they were already doing, like, pretty well. Um, and they went on tour with uh, Jimi Hendrix in the U.S. And he was noted as saying in interviews that Billy was one of his favorite guitarists, which, That's again, huge. is, like, <laughs> huge. Yeah. Um, just such a compliment coming from another very iconic um, guitar player, extremely right. talented, and we'll we'll cover Jimi Hendrix at some point, probably next season. Mm-hmm. Um, but just what a compliment to get, yeah. and how fun, and what just how did he have that life of like Elvis and BB uh, yeah. King and Jimi Hendrix and just craziness all around <laughs> him? But good for him. Uh, this. I just kind of stumbled onto this information and I thought it was really crazy, but okay. Follow me here. This is going to get a little rambly, so I apologize, but y'all remember me talking about Bill Ham, who was their manager. We do. Right. Mm -hmm. He was like their long time. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) He was their long time manager. He suffered a tragedy in 1991 when his wife, Cecile was abducted and murdered. Can you believe that? In 1991, his wife was abducted and murdered in a Walgreens parking lot. And what happened was it had nothing to do with him. It really had nothing to do with her. It was just like a crazy, crazy happening. So there was this like 20-something-year-old named Spencer Goodman. 
he had been in prison for like theft and burglary and yada 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 he was out on parole he'd been out on parole for like less than 48 hours he was supposed to go to his halfway house he didn't he just started walking and he was walking 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 all night and so he stopped at a walgreens parking lot because he was real tired his feet were tired and he was there for like 20 30 minutes he saw this woman pull up in her red i forget what kind of vehicle she had like red cadillac i think it was and he watched her go in it was raining outside so there weren't like many people around and he watched her go inside and he wanted to steal her car so when she got back into her car he goes up to her hits her like on the side of the head knocks her out she falls into the passenger seat he takes the car and at some point he like breaks her neck and she's dead he puts her in the trunk he ends up uh dumping her body in an open field and then like five weeks later he's arrested in colorado in the same vehicle i think he was like speeding in that vehicle or something and he confessed to the murder he was convicted and sentenced to death in texas and in 2000 he was executed by lethal injection that was crazy i and but that's That's another thing with yeah with this band like you don't like it was in in all the articles and stuff it was like wife of bill ham zz top's manager or manager Mm -hmm. of rock band zz top or something but that's it that's all you would get and so i almost didn't come across that but that's the kind of stuff that i'm like what like that kind of stuff blows my mind yeah um when you find stuff out like that because it's like okay that was in 1991 so he's still in the picture and for that to happen that i mean that just kind of rocks your world in such a devastating way i don't know yeah uh but yeah so i thought that was well worthy of being included i it's definitely an interesting fact i will say you lived up to last episode i don't remember what it was you were like oh i'm a debbie downer <laughs> you brought up something else oh. i mean obviously we're talking about Sam, Sam, but you talked about something else oh, and i can't remember yeah. and you were like oh debbie downer and we didn't like know where to womp move womp. on from there <laughs> yeah so, that's that's um, me <laughs> and then they were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in 2004 <laughs> Um, of course, they have that documentary on Netflix. Um, what is it? I think it's just called That Little Old Band from Texas, right? Or what is it called then? It is. And yeah, it's called That Little Old Band from Texas, okay. like ZZ Top. And that was actually like a, a slight towards them. Like it wasn't supposed to be a compliment or something. Because early, early on, before they did that worldwide tour, um, they weren't getting like a lot of good press. Mm-hmm. And they would, like, when they went on tour, oh, who was it with? I forget. It was one of the things they went on tour, and they didn't even get mentioned, like, at all. And then when they would get mentioned, they would be like, oh, that little band from Texas. Well, these guys, being them, they were like, oh, we like that. And so yeah. they took it, and they turned it into something positive and made it basically their slogan for this worldwide Texas tour from 76 to 77 they're like that little old band from texas Icons. and Icons. they made it their own and i was like yeah you go you know what that's that reminds me of destiny's child and beyonce do you remember how or, 
I was a big Destiny's Child fan, how they had like members leaving the group and there was articles written about them like, oh, it's like Survivor. Who's the going to be the last standing, you know, group members. And so they took it, took that little idea and turned it into their hit Survivor and oh. owned it. Fun fact. Anyhow. Beyonce is also from Houston, Texas. Woo! H-Town. Right? And Lizzo. So, and Megan totally. And Lizzo's from Texas? Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure she's from Houston. Oh, I like Where her. Where is she's Lizzo funny. from? I like her music. She is not. <laughs> she is not. Oh. <laughs> she's from Detroit, Michigan. Let's That's see. super close to Houston, Texas, though. <laughs> well, speaking of Texas, um, like we said, ZZ Top, they were extremely proud of their Texas roots and they wouldn't let the press get them down just because they weren't from like Los Angeles or New York and they refused to move there. I remember them saying something about like Janis Joplin, like it was a real bummer because she was born in Port Arthur, Texas, Mm -hmm. but she kind of played it off like she was from California after she moved over Mm -hmm. there. And so kind of downplayed her Texas roots and you know, you got to do what works for you, but these guys were diehard Texans and um, so much so again that they were putting those crazy animals on their stage (laughs) that would have been such a crazy show and so bizarre to see because especially at that time like was there anything else like that that makes me think of like what is it like the the revivals like the church revivals where they have would have yeah. like the snakes and it's like very southern and like you know Speaking crowd mentality and... <laughs> like yeah that's what it makes me <sighs> picture um i wonder i don't know but yeah if you are listening to this and you were at one of those shows please reach out to us and let us know how crazy it was and if you remember anything about it we'd love to hear it <laughs> so before we wrap up we want to kind of just talk about where the guys are now um so of course, I'll let you. I'll let you talk about um, Dusty Hill real quick, and then All we'll right. get into the other guys. So Dusty Hill, he married an actress, Charlene McCrory, in two thousand two. But I looked her up, and it said that she was an actress in a movie called Alien Vows. I couldn't really find it on IMDb. I couldn't find anything else. And the articles that did mention her, they were like she was an actress in Alien Vows and several other things. I don't. I couldn't find what she was in. Um, and t- he was in like a bunch of random little movies here and there mm-hmm. and music videos. So he seemed like more of an actor or like had more film time. I mean, obviously he's famous in another way. So um, this poor guy. So in 1984, he um, yeah. was accidentally shot in the abdomen when his girlfriend was taking off his boots and a 38 caliber fell out and discharged. And he was 35 at the time and quote, to this day, I don't know how I could do it, but I didn't really feel anything at the time. All I knew was that I had to get myself to a hospital right away. So I got in the car and drove there. It was only when I arrived at the hospital that the seriousness of what I'd done hit me, and I went into shock. And he ended up fully recovering. Um, in 2000, mm-hmm. in the year 2000, he was diagnosed with hepatitis C, and so they canceled the tour. In 2014, um, he needed hip surgery. So part of their tour, tour, part of their tour was canceled mm-hmm. again. And then in 2021, on July 23rd, um, just five days before he did end up dying, he left their tour because of hip problems. And the band played their show, their next show without him. And he had 
requested that their guitar tech, Elwood Francis, play in his place. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so he had requested that. And then a few days later, on July 27th, so that was four days before, on July 27th, he died in his sleep at the age of 72. Um, They're not for sure. The cause of death is unknown. But, like, his health was declining and... He had advised Frank and Billy to continue the tour with Elwood Francis' stand-in. So if I'm Elwood Francis, I would feel obviously so sad and upset mm-hmm. about his death, but also like to have his blessing to continue on in his place. You know, like you're not trying to replace him, but it's like to kind no, of carry the torch and it for wasn't, him, I think would be cool. Yeah, Elwood Francis wasn't just like some rando off the street. Yeah. He had been like their guitar tech for like decades. Yeah. And so I think that was like a natural transition right. um, for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, um, so I mean, super, poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> he kept, I feel like he had yeah, so many he health things through the years. I, I mean, um, there was minor things on top of these things that we just talked about, like here and there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the um, interviews that I saw with him, or I read with him, it was, they, like, asked him, like, uh, are you an addict? And he was like, if you're asking if I'm addicted to um, drinking or drugs, he answers no. And he's like, but I do have an addictive personality. And he's like, I think you have to have some sort of addictive personality to be successful in this business. Um, And he's like, whenever I get interested in something I delve into it and I want to know all about it like right away and Mm -hmm. um so I that was um just something like a little tidbit of into his personal life which again these guys were very private and good for them for being able to keep you know their lives separate from their stardom Mm -hmm. um Frank Beard had so he actually at a very young age, before he moved to Houston, this I think this is why he moved to Houston, he had gotten his girlfriend pregnant, and they were living with his parents, and then they packed up one day, and they moved to Houston, and I think that was his first wife, and then after they got divorced, he married Debbie Meredith in 1982, and they're still married today, but they him and Debbie had twin boys together, um, and then he has the daughter from his previous marriage, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So he lives in Richmond, Texas, and owns and operates Top 40 Ranch. He participates in golf tournaments and community events, very involved in the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, earlier Um, you asked if he was still sober, and I had read something that um, he is still sober, and part of, like, his journey was, like, keeping busy and staying involved with things. mm -hmm. And so golf became, like, a big hobby for him and to, like, do something other than you know, drinking or drugs or something was just like, I mean, golf takes up a lot of time. I will say not that that's like going to be everybody's <sighs> way to solve that problem. Yeah. But golf is like four hours long for the 18 holes. Yeah. So he's, he's still out there doing his thing. Um, and Billy Gibbons, I thought this was really interesting too. From 1999 to 2008, he was a composer and lyricist for the Jeff Healy band, but he was credited under his alias Justice Walkert. <laughs> and it's like j-u-s-t-i-s walkert that mm-hmm. was the name that he was credited under and i was like oh that's interesting i don't know the reasoning for that um but that that was interesting just that that was actually 
Billy Gibbons. And another mm-hmm. thing is his name is um, William Frederick, right? William Frederick Gibbons. Mm-hmm. And so his like followers are the BFGs. Oh. Billy F. Gibbons, the BFG. And I love that he's even <laughs> the he has, tall like, guy. his BFG band. <laughs> I know, I know. Big friendly and, giant. Um, oh. Yeah. So uh, Victoria and I both love Roald Dahl too. Yes. So we're big, um, big fans of Roald Dahl's writing and his books. Okay, ZZ Top is actually still touring. Mm-hmm. Um, even, yeah, they're even without Dusty Hill, they're still touring. And they are coming to Austin because Ann Wilson is going to be there with them. Yeah, okay. I saw that on Instagram. On September 23rd, ZZ Top is playing at the Germania Insurance Amphitheater. I don't know how these guys keep it up. How they... (laughs) I don't know how they want to. Like, honestly, I mean, I get it and I don't. Like, I feel like if I were them, I'd just be like, I just want to live my life and do my thing and have fun and spend my money. And, spend my money yeah but i guess I so yeah but like that's their that's their fun right and they yeah. it's not just like you know at least like frank and billy are like still best friends you know yeah. and they're they still get along and that's what they talked about too is that one of the things that helped them stay together so long without breaking up was that they they all kept like when they would go on tour, they would each have their own tour bus. They would have mm. their own trailer. Like so that way when they got to where they were going, they'd be happy to see each other. It's not like they were traveling together. Like getting sick of each other and every time. Yeah, exactly. And so they had like little things like that where they would they would do that, um, to to still want to and they I think he said he was Frank Beard, he was like, I found the guys that I wanna play with. And I just got lucky because I found him early on and he's, you know, been playing with them from, you know, what was it? Uh, 1969. 69. And so just really cool that they're still together and they're still playing music, making music and doing, you know, and if they are still ending their sets with Tush, Mm -hmm. that's pretty, pretty cool too. Yeah. Well, that brings us to our last segment, One Hit Wonder. And for this one, I chose Afternoon Delight by Starlin Vocal Band. And the connection I made was it's another not very subtle sexual innuendo. Um, Like we talked about how they had. That was the connection I made here. Um, It was a number one hit in 1976. And... An interesting little background, though. Um, so it's a band of four members, and two members of the band, Bill Danoff and Taffy Nivert, Nivert, were married at one point and were also the songwriters of John Denver's huge hit, Take Me Home Country Roads. Oh, Isn't that crazy? Interesting. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. I thought that was really cool. Um, but they would sometimes sing oh. together at a place called Clyde's Restaurant in Washington, D.C., And the happy hour appetizer menu is supposedly where they got the title for the song, Afternoon Delight. So I guess that's what they listed the appetizers under was like Afternoon Delights. And it Hmm. made them like, yeah, it made them, um, I think it was Bill who was like, kind of kept going with that idea once he had the like little term and obviously turned it into what it is. And that restaurant has a gold record for the song hanging in their restaurant now. 
because oh, you know cool. that little story and um not huge but the other two people in the band john carroll and Margot chapman eventually got married also but then they also got divorced and the two writers i originally talked about bill and taffy um they got divorced too so anyway but um i thought the little thing about the happy hour menu and the john denver song tie-in was really interesting um yeah i didn't what movie is it is it anchorman yeah that's it yeah it got huge i remember it in in high school, people were singing it all the time. It was like, skyrockets in flight. Yeah. And like everybody Boo. doing that noise all the time because of that movie. And that movie's like its own oh, yeah. like little brand of humor. And it's funny and, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, the song kind of got like a resurgence after that movie because of it. It's funny how that happens. Yeah, we see that a lot with the, well, obviously with this music because it's, old and not a lot of people are generation i would say like millennials or gen z are as familiar with it and so mm-hmm. when something comes up like kate bush on stranger things mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. running up the hill then it mm-hmm. becomes like massive like mm-hmm. overnight <laughs> yeah so okay. with that remember to tell your friends about us <laughs> listen to us <laughs> Rate us. You can rate the podcast. And if you got Let a chicken. What you think. <laughs> <laughs> we'll meet you in LaGrange. Um, and also, but, so for those who don't know, the show notes are when you click on the episode in Spotify or whatever it is, and there's like a little blurb about like what the show's about. Underneath that, there's links to the show notes. So we have pictures there usually of whatever we've talked about and also links yeah. to whatever we talked about. So, all right. Well, until next time, rock out and ramble on.